Hello, I'm Mike Baselli, and this is episode 15 of Passionate Pioneers. In this episode, we spoke with a globally recognized public health practitioner with over 15 years of experience working across the public and private sectors in the United States, East and West Africa, and the Caribbean. KPL Paul is a professor and expert in national health program implementation and is the founder and CEO of Access Mobile, a digital health company dedicated to improving patient engagement for underserved communities through the use of mobile technology. During this episode, KP discussed his journey in the public health industry and how his global work helped him discover the opportunity to leverage cellular technology to bring healthcare to the masses across Africa. Additionally, KP shared how his company recently uncovered significant opportunity for their technology platform to positively impact care for high-risk patients here in the United States. Before we dive into the podcast, I want to thank KP and his team for the relentless desire and passion to bring critically needed care to some of the most underserved communities across the world. I hope you'll take the time to support KP and his team on their journey as they continue to work toward their inspiring mission, to deploy a diverse team with expertise across public health, behavioral science, multicultural communications, and health technology to improve patient care through intelligent mobile engagement. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. KP, welcome to our podcast, being recorded at Halo Creative Labs, located inside of Angel MD's headquarters here at Catalyst, our healthcare innovation campus in downtown Denver. I'm really happy to be with you today, Mike. Great to have you here, KP. I'm humbled to have you on this podcast today as you and your team at Access Mobile are doing transformative work in delivering quality health care to some of the world's most disadvantaged communities in Africa and the United States. This is going to be an inspiring discussion, KP, around the platform your team has built and in the movement your organization is creating. But before we dive in and how your company has created this movement, a bit of housekeeping. For our audience, while listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to visit the episode notes to share feedback and ideas with our guests via our guest feedback form link and to nominate other passionate pioneers for a future episode via our guest nomination form link. And lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli in iTunes or Spotify. All right, KP, before we dive into the inspiring story of Access Mobile, let's go ahead and take a moment to break the ice a bit so the community can get to know you. Go ahead and randomly select one of three questions, and we'll take it from there. All right. Ooh, favorite meal. What is your favorite meal and why? You know, I'm, I'm big boned. I love food. So oh, wow. what's your favorite meal and why? Okay, so... uh I'm a big fan of West African food. Ooh, tell me more. And uh, my family's from Ghana. I was born in the U.S. And all over West Africa, people eat something called jollof rice. Jollof rice? Jollof rice. Tell me more. Is something that 
is a point of debate and contention in West Africa. And all the countries in West Africa compete and try to claim who has the best jollof rice. So I like to say Ghana has the best jollof rice. You're putting it out and there. And that's my favorite food. And so I know for people that are in that mix, I'm, I'm stirring the pot already. <laughs> well, that's what, you know, that's what we have on here. Pioneers, right? So, what, what is it? Spicy? Yes, yeah, it's what, a spicy what, what's rice in mixed with meat and vegetables and uh, tomatoes. And it's, it's really delicious. And, if, you know, in the Caribbean, you'll get some of the foods there that have that twist of, of a West African feel as well. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's tremendous. And I, I encourage everyone out there to give it a shot. You can find a, a Ghanaian restaurant in your local neighborhood. Oh, all right. <laughs> we tend to be everywhere. <laughs> Galof, right. And you have the best. We have the best. All right. We're coming over to have some of that. That sounds great. All right. Well, thank you for that, KP. We're going to dive in. This is going to be an inspiring discussion. I've been uh, close to your journey for many years and always love spending time with you. Before we dive into Access Mobile, I know it has been a long journey. You guys have uh, you know, created some incredible technology. You are moving the needle in, in, in delivering health to some of the most underserved communities on the planet, but that just doesn't happen overnight. How did you get to where you are today with Access Mobile? Let's take it back a bit. Right. So going back, even as a young person um, with family in Ghana, though I was born in the US, I'm a first generation, um, I always felt that there was something wrong in the sense that I had the opportunity to access good health services, a really great education, and other opportunities here in the U.S. that my family in Ghana didn't necessarily have all those opportunities. And when it came to healthcare, particularly, it just seemed like some of the most simple things ended up becoming major problems for some of the, my family members and friends around healthcare issues in Ghana. And so from a very young age, even when I went to college, I was pre-medicine. And at that point, a lot of my idea was around global health and how I could support communities around the world that didn't have as much access to quality care as I believe they should. I think everyone on the planet should have access to quality health care. Um, and so that was in my DNA from a, as a young person. Um, and, and what I've learned over time is that how we get there, how we crack the code on health care um, that's a major nut, right? To crack. And it's, it, it's, you know, in my journey, it's been about different types of experimentation around how we think about the use of technology and innovation, how we think about service delivery, but ultimately around access to quality care for people. But you didn't start as a technologist per se. No, I did not. I actually started in public health. And so when I was, when I was um, in undergrad, I was pre-med, but then I started to realize that, you know, a lot of healthcare issues are systemic. And then I started to look more at economics and public health. Hmm. And that led me to the Yale School of Public Health, where I did my MPH um, in global health, and then became one of the early employees of President Clinton's foundation. Um, back then, it was called the Clinton HIV AIDS Initiative, working on access to quality health services and medications for people living with HIV AIDS in Africa. And that was a major problem in the early 2000s. And so the arc of my journey was really doing community-based public health work around the world in African countries, the Caribbean, and the U.S. And when I was involved in that context, there was one thing that I observed. No matter where I was in the world, and particularly in African countries in very rural areas, everybody had a phone. Hmm. And so I was like, there's no healthcare facility here. 
There's limited access to drugs, but everyone has a phone. Time out on that. Define phone, right? We Is it a landline phone? Is it a mobile phone? Let's Correct. define that. You're right. Thank you. It was, everyone had a mobile phone. Really? What year right? is this? So this is now in the early 2000s. Wow. And so um, when I had this observation that everyone had a mobile phone in these contexts, they were basic phones, but people were able to do phone calls, talk to their friends, text with their family members. I would, you know, I thought, how do we use that tool? How can that be a tool to bridge the access gap? And was access to these phones growing rapidly as well? Were you seeing an explosion in, in you know, while it was probably a basic you know, cellular phone for SMS capabilities in there, probably not a smartphone like we know today, right. but was that growing quickly? That was growing quickly. So there were a couple trends. So one, at that time in the early 2000s, and even if we think about just technology, yep. right, from yep. early 2000s to now, what's gone on with Mobile phone technology is, I mean, it's been exponential. Well, right? quick reminder, right? I mean, yeah. it, the, the iPhone didn't even hit the marketplace until 2007. Precisely. Right. So we're talking about the pre-iPhone era. Yeah. Um, and so you can imagine being in a rural environment, let's say in Tanzania or somewhere. Um, what we saw is people had basic phones. Um, the cost of making a call because the telephone infrastructure was growing in these countries became cheaper and cheaper. Right, because these countries leapfrogged. Yep. They didn't have to go the landline route. They went straight to mobile wireless connectivity. And then they leapfrogged from 1G to 2G to 3G to now. Um, you can even have LTE when you're out in rural Kenya. Wow. And so, but those observations in the early days led me to believe like the, the mobile device had to play a tool in bridging the gap for one reason. Um, my hypothesis was that. In those environments, and even in some places here in the U.S., you're not going to be able to train enough health workers fast enough or build enough facilities fast enough to bridge the access gap. And so if, if you have a supply-side problem with a long time lag, then, then you have a lot of people that suffer because we're not innovating with the tools we have at hand. And you're saying this is a global problem. I'm saying this is a global problem. And wow. so what we're able to do, and over the, the arc of my journey, I took a lot of those experiences in those contexts. And being someone who's an American now living in Denver with my wife and family, who also works in the company now, we met at Yale in public health. Um, I started to see that we could do this work here in the U.S. for our communities as well. And so in the arc of my journey, we then started to take those things that we learned in global health and apply them to populations here. We'll talk about your journey here in the United States because it's been an exciting one and it, it's quickly building uh, as I'm you know, fortunate to watch you build this incredible company. But let's, let's focus in on, on Africa. So you had this hypothesis. You start building this organization. Did you did you build a tech company in Africa? L let's go through that journey. What what did Access Mobile look like in Africa? How did you build it? And what were some of the results you were seeing? Right, great. So when we started in Africa, I founded the company in 2011. The goal was um, how to use cloud based innovations and digital transformation for the health sector. So who we were targeting were healthcare providers, hmm. um, healthcare providers that typically had facilities running paper-based processes that didn't have effective ways to reach out to their patients. Um, how could we help those facilities with digital transformation through the cloud to then enable communication through text messaging um, to their patients and also the ability to collect data 
digitally in an environment that was still paper-based. This is in 2011. And so we ended up partnering with Microsoft at that stage. We were one of Microsoft's first For Africa Innovation Award winners. And we started on that journey of selling our solution as software as a service to these providers in places like Uganda and Kenya and Tanzania as a part of that digital transformation arc, which would then support patient engagement through text messaging. Let's pause there. What did the, how did the providers view this technology? Were they excited about it? Was it threatening? Was it, did they they understand the capabilities here? How, how, how was it in those early days? So in the early days, um, the concept of our model of using cloud-based technology took some time because we were one of the early people bringing these software-as-a-service models into the African environment. So I guess it's important for people to understand this didn't exist in that context. You were, you were to the definition of a pioneer over there with us. Yeah, so you're, you're in a context where that maybe looked the way health technology looked here in the U.S., you know, maybe in the 90s. A lot of everything was on-prem. So people were used to on-prem systems to custom software, one-off builds. They were not yet attuned to the benefits of the cloud and shared infrastructure that could reduce the cost and drive shared benefit across a user base. And then also the business models associated with that, Hmm. they were not used to. So we had to... We had to educate the market in many ways. So it wasn't just building the technology. You also had to be the steward in the marketplace to uh, let the marketplace understand the capabilities thereof. Precisely. Wow. And that creates a different growth arc for a company because we were truly an early mover, first mover in that space. So you have to do a lot of the work in the market to build it. And that's a very different dynamic than in a more mature market space um, where some of those models exist and you're really trying to find that right niche. And where did you guys first focus in Africa? So we started first in Uganda. Okay. And in Uganda, we landed an opportunity um, where we worked with a network of 70 facilities um, that were all primarily paper-based. And we built um, a Java-based application on a simple phone. The phone was called a My Phone back in the day. It was a feature phone that looked like a BlackBerry. And we put this data on that phone um, through an app um, so that people could enter information. And then through text messaging technology, we would send that data to the cloud. So then now an individual could capture the information from the clinic digitally. So it was like low tech to cloud, but then we had centralized electronic data. Then we also captured phone numbers. So now I could do patient engagement in a more targeted way. So this was this was analog to digital. It's amazing how much technology changes when I think about 2011, I think about 2019, where we are now. But those were the first origin stories. What were some of the success stories that you saw coming out of Uganda with this? So coming out of Uganda and then also moving to other countries, I mean, people, one, the providers saw a significant benefit in actually seeing their data digitally right? Because all the data was electronic. And so they didn't have a good view of what was going on with the patient population. So the ability to get digital data and insight was very exciting for the provider. But then the ability to connect through text messaging to do basic things, appointment reminders, population health, patients would actually be happy. They would walk into the clinic and actually thank the provider 
for sending them a message. And so we had a really positive feedback loop. And as people know, when you want to build something that's sticky, that's what you look for. And so we had this mutually reinforcing dynamic where our providers would take on the technology and they'd start to do this new thing. And then people would just walk into the clinic and just out of the blue, thank them for actually caring to reach out. And what were some of the things, was it for just like primary care check? Like what, in what ways were the providers using this technology? Primary care? Other? Yeah. So, so the use cases were around primary care and around care compliance. So things like managing um, appointments for people to come for their visits for different disease states or, you know, those type of use cases that would, you know, at least in a more mature market, you are already seeing. But this created a leapfrog dynamic for those folks in the African context. So, yeah. And so here we are now in 2019, an amazing journey over in Africa. How many how many countries is Access Mobile touching in Africa today? So right now um, in Africa, we've worked in about six countries. Wow. And right now we're, we're scaling the fastest in South Africa. So we're doing a very large scale initiative there with HIV AIDS care compliance. So making sure that people that have HIV come to their doctor visits on time, take their drugs on time, get their tests on time. So we're doing a large-scale initiative in South Africa. In Kenya, we've been working for some years. We have users in Tanzania. So we've we've built a, a, an interesting uh, business and learned a lot out there. Wow. So, well, you know, I'll just put it out there right now, KP, if we want to do a follow-on episode here and want to take a field trip, you just let me know. Oh, you're we, ready? We, yeah. we, we, can, we can take the podcast <laughs> on the road. Excellent. <laughs> Happy to anytime, Mike. That is amazing. I want to go back, back to that HIV piece. So you were mentioning they're using some of the technology for, uh, you know, medication adherence. Are those reminders? What does that look like to the patient? Yeah. So where our model has evolved is... Um, we now partner with a group called Broadreach Healthcare in South Africa. They're a leading group that's been working on the HIV epidemics with um, the generous funding of U.S. government, so USAID, yep. which is the U.S. Agency for International Development, and PEPFAR, um, which is uh, U.S. government's global AIDS program, have partnered up to support countries that are trying to control their AIDS epidemic. Broadreach Healthcare is one of the pioneers in doing that work in Africa. And we are partnering with them um, to focus on something very specific. A big issue in HIV is called loss to follow-up. So what loss to follow-up means is someone has been tested HIV positive, they've initiated treatment, and then they stop showing up. Hmm. And so they're lost. And so, you know, you can imagine that uh, in a scenario where you've invested so much money and so much time and effort in a health system to make sure that these people could access care and then you lose them, that's a problem. So what we're doing with uh, Broadreach is using very sophisticated data analytics and population health strategies to identify key profiles of individuals that we, and then phone number information where we can reach out and then send a targeted communication to try to reach back out to these people and see if we can bring them back in. Hmm. Um, and that's all through the messaging channel, through mobile communication. Yeah, That's fantastic work. Very, very inspiring. So that's kind of where the company has been. And I know you guys are still investing I- investing a huge amount of time, money, energy, and resources over in Africa. And the work it just continues to blossom over there. So give us a little bit of a history lesson on the U.S. market. I know that you guys didn't start there. 
But now here is Access Mobile starting to march across the United States. Give us a little bit of a look into that. Right. So in in late 2017, um, we had a board meeting um, of my company and our investors and supporters. And in that meeting, my board advised me that they said, look, KP, we've been doing some really interesting work um, on the continent. We've been learning a lot. It's a challenging environment. And as we discussed, there's lots of different things you have to do to succeed in the African market, like a lot of fundamental building blocks um, that can slow scaling. And my board said, look, like we have an innovation that we can use to support communities here at home. And why don't we start to explore that? And so in early 2018, we started talking to some U.S. health systems with this proposition. Um, the U.S. has many, many hard-to-reach um, populations, populations that are disconnected from the health system, and, and people who generally, for various reasons, are not getting the access to care that they need. Quick pause on that. Define hard-to-reach. What does that mean? Hard to reach in our world um, means some of what might be intuitive, such as rural populations, so people that live in rural areas with limited access to providers or physical locations, locations, those kinds of things. But hard to reach also could be a population living in an urban area that, for whatever reason, is disconnected from the health system. Whether it be a language barrier. Language barriers. Socioeconomic. Socioeconomic barriers, those kinds of things. Exactly. And so when we think about hard-to-reach, underserved, or diverse populations, they actually straddle between rural and urban in our country. And it looks very similar to dynamics you see in other parts of the world. And so given the fact that, again, everyone has a mobile phone, And one of the assumptions that's been busted is that people think folks who are low income or folks who maybe are out in rural areas, there's this kind of thinking that, well, they don't have phones. Completely false. Completely false. And actually, there's studies proving it. I think there was a study from 2017 uh, from uh, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services that uh, uh, demonstrated about, if I remember correctly, roughly in the 80% uh, of Medicare, Medicaid patients have a smartphone. Precisely. And so very similar to where I started, I started to say, you know, to these health systems, health reform pushed health systems to the patient portal. And we know that patient portal adoption is limited for most health systems. And there's lots of reasons. That's like another conversation. That's, all, that's that podcast <laughs> that we're going to do over in Africa. Yeah, that's another conversation. <laughs> However, um, there is a big opportunity to use other channels of mobile communication to reach out to people and bring them in. And a lot of the populations that we're talking about now, they're never really going to be in the portal. But if you text them, they're going to engage. And so when I started the company in Africa doing texting, texting was seen as very passe here in the U.S. market. Now we've moved into a notification-based culture. As we're talking now, each of us probably has 20 notifications on our phone. You know, I always love is because I know you and I, we both uh, love to give back to aspiring uh, entrepreneurs and technologists. And I always ask them this question. And sometimes it's amazing uh, the answers that I do and do not receive. And I asked the question, do you know what the most used app is on your phone? And they're like, huh, it's the text messaging app. Think exactly. about it, right? Exactly. We are so engaged with that green box on an iPhone. <laughs> exactly. And so what we realized, and it was, it was an unintended consequence yep. of our journey, 
is that in the patient engagement space here, and when 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 providers and and payers think about um, communication through the mobile channel, it's text based interventions that drive behavior that get people to respond that can even motivate people to go to the portal. And so the first opportunity we had is with Adventist Health White Memorial Hospital. Um, They were the first health system to give me a shot. Where are they located? They're located in Los Angeles. They're the anchor hospital for the Adventist Health System nationally. And the COO of the hospital, a woman named Mara Bryant, who's a national healthcare leader, was willing to give me a shot. And this is what she said. She said, you know what, KP? Um, Probably the populations that we're dealing with in East LA have a lot more to do with your experiences in other parts of the world than Mm. suburban America. Wow. And her her patient population is 90% Latinx. About half of them are Spanish first speakers. Um, A lot of them have chronic disease burden. Um, some of them have comorbidities and she was having a hard time trying to reach out to these people. So she said, can we use your methodologies around population health, behavioral science, text-based interventions to actually reach out to these people and pull them into White Memorial as a place where they can receive care. And from that one opportunity, we then uh, started to prove our model. And now we've been growing exponentially in the U.S. in this space. Wow. So how and how long ago was that with White Memorial? White Memorial, that pilot was in the middle of 2018, and it's just been growing. It's been growing. So the companies really had it start in the U.S. in the middle of 2018, and in just over 12, 18, around 18 months, we've we've ramped. That's exciting. So where do you see? Access Mobile, KP, and the, and the leadership you bring to the organization. Where do you see the next three to five years going for the organization? So I think um, for our organization, we're following a couple trends. Um, one trend that we're tracking to is what's going on with the concepts around value-based care. Yep. How our business model evolved, and this is also by the nature of me and our team being health practitioners, is that we're really focused on outcomes for our partners. So you know, we say we're on a mission to improve clinical outcomes and organizational performance through personalized mobile communication, right? So what we're trying to do for the market is to help them reach out and nudge people the way they need to be moved through the appropriate channels. This is bringing in more of a concept of a consumer-driven mindset around healthcare and how to put the patient in the center, right? And so I think as we evolve as an organization, we want to be on that trend and we want our tools and our solutions to help providers and payers put patients in the center. And are you seeing those trends happen? That's great as a mission for your organization, but are you seeing the marketplace trends going that way? I see them going that way, but there's some friction points around no many way. things we know, <laughs> fee-for-service, value-based care models, how those things are, are making quo. their way, right? And, and the groups that we work with, are the groups that want to be in the front of those trends. And not everyone wants to be there right now. There are some groups that are waiting to see what happens. There are some groups that aren't, maybe don't feel like they're in a position to make certain moves at this stage of the market. So I think where we sit is every partner that we work with in the U.S. right now is a group that knows that 
to, to reach their mandate of supporting their patient population with the right standards of care, um, with the right level of quality and patient experience around that quadruple aim, they know that this has to be a part of it and they're willing to lean in, right? And so that's the area of the market we're working in. Um, there are challenges, obviously, around payment models, around how you align around outcomes and, and translate that into the financial structures of healthcare in the U.S., um, but we think that's where we need to be. And this may be a no, but um, are you are, are you focused on any other international markets? I mean, here you are now with, you know, really focusing in on the U.S. and have great footprint in Africa. Are there other markets out there across the globe that are of interest? Globally, I think there's opportunity in many markets. I think one of the things we're challenged with as a company is how to grow in a smart way. Yep. So I think with the experiences we're having in a handful of African countries in the U.S., at this point, we're hunkering down around these key markets. Um, but I can see us, if we talk about that three to five years, um, wouldn't be surprised if we end up in some other geographies because we've learned how to navigate regulation and other different market environments. To the aspiring tech entrepreneurs listening in, uh, very uh, important words shared by KP, stay laser focused and nail what's in front of you. So I'm glad to hear that, KP, because I know there's Sometimes you can get uh, you know shiny object syndrome, and it's good to see you guys are staying focused on those two markets. Exactly. So, what other markets? And now we heard you know um, the urban uh, setting with, down in Los Angeles, and we, earlier you were talking a little bit about the rural setting. Is that also on, right? Uh, is that still on the agenda as well for, yeah, for so, you here domestically? So we have a partner in Oregon called Cascade Comprehensive Care. They're a CCO, a coordinated care organization. I'm in Oregon that has the mandate to support um, a rural population of primarily Medicaid patients and also some Medicare patients. And so we've partnered up with Cascade Comprehensive Care to use these type of strategies that we've been discussing around uh, personalized communication, behavioral science, and, and, and those type of things to drive quality and access for their rural populations. And so we're doing that's out in Kalamath Falls in Oregon. And we've been working with them this year and we have a long-term partnership where our hope is actually to partner with them to innovate models for rural America around how to use this channel to support those challenges. Very cool. Well, it sounds like a very exciting future in store for the team, um, not only here in the United States, but also in Africa. So thanks for sharing all of that backstory on the movement that you have created across the world. Let's switch gears a little bit here, KP. The The community listening in is a, is a passionate bunch, and they do offer up a lot of um, great opportunity to get involved. So can you share with our community one problem, need, or question that you currently have that our listening community can help with? So I think that um, one area that we are challenged with right now is around texting regulation. And when I say that, I mean SMS hmm. communication. Because when we look at SMS as a channel for communication with patients, um, that channel is not encrypted through the wire. So there are very specific criteria around how to use texting from HIPAA's guidelines. Yep. And we understand that protecting PII or personally identifiable information and personal health information is key. And people need to be informed if there's any type of information that might be shared through an unencrypted channel that 
they need to know that or consent to being shared. But I think with with HIPAA and with the regulators in DC, there's a lot of conversation because huge swaths of our population in the US want to be on this channel communicating. But HIPAA can be in certain areas a bit restrictive or gray. And health systems are put in a place where uh, we often have to offer guidance on how they should be approaching using the channel that they know. Again, understanding that the patient portal is there. And if people use that channel, it supports communication in a way that's compliant, but that most people aren't there. So are you needing people that are in D.C., the policymakers? What is the need around that? Because that definitely is a problem that we have. Yeah, I think the need around that has a number of prongs. So one, the policymakers, and I think this isn't just in texting policy, but a number of other domains um, need to partner with various stakeholders in industry to get clarity on how we find the right line of balancing patient protections and privacy with convenience and access. And that's the crux of it. Um, Right now I'm on, um, I've been invited to join the American Hospital Association's um, Rural Health Advisory Board um, that's advising the AHA's Rural Health Task Force which is looking into a lot of elements of innovation around rural populations. So, for example, that's a forum where folks like myself and others are will be having these conversations. But I think um, it's a cross-sector need to start to talk about these things and translate them into practical policy. So our, to our listening community, please visit the episode notes. There, there will be a guest uh, feedback form link in the episode notes. Take time, fill that out. Uh, think through some of the, the needs that KP and Access Mobile have around, around this problem, and as well as anybody in your own networks as well. We'll make sure to get that to KP and, and his team over at Access Mobile. So thank you for sharing that, KP. Let's talk about how the community can get a hold of you. What are some contact points out there, websites, handles, et cetera? How can we, how can we find out more about you? Where can we find you? Great. So our website is accessmobile.io. Okay. Um, and so you can learn more about what we're doing there, and you'll see some updates coming. Um, there's a form there if you want to reach out and uh, connect with us. If you've heard this conversation, there's a form where you can write us and we'll reach back out to you and have a conversation. You can also find us on Twitter at at Access Mobile Inc. um, to track our progress there. Fantastic. And again, we'll leave those contact points in the episode notes uh, for this podcast as well. All right, KP, it's time to take it home. I got to fill in the blank for you. I'm a passionate pioneer because... So I am a passionate pioneer because um, every person on the planet deserves access to quality healthcare services. And to do that requires uh, a long-term commitment to people. Excellent. Way to close it out today on the podcast. KP, I'm honored and humbled to be friends with you and Sarah and to be able to be so close to your journey over the past number of years to see where you're at today and most importantly, and and to watch where you and the organization are going to go tomorrow. I get to see you on the daily here at Catalyst, our healthcare innovation campus. You are some of the hardest workers on campus. You guys bring an incredible amount of energy. I'm so proud of you. Keep it up. Keep fighting out there and, and know you have an entire listening community here with our podcast rooting you on. Thank you. Thanks so much, Mike. Really appreciate it.
Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.